Hi, Arnamancy listeners. Real quick, before we get into the Montana Jordan episode, I wanted to let all of you know that I have just released a new online class. I'm going to be teaching it online live over Zoom, and it's uh, Introduction to Sigils. Um, I don't want to delay you too long. I just want to say you can find out more about it at arnamancy.com slash classes. So I hope you check it all out. There are two um, sessions scheduled in February, and if there's enough interest, I will keep going and do some in March. Speak. The charm of make charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast, exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. I am here today with Montana Jordan, the star, like the superstar of the new travel channel show, Uh, It Feels Evil. It's travel channel, right? Okay. Uh, And we didn't talk about like how I was going to introduce you. That's it. That's your intro. That's your intro. That's it. I mean, I assume, you know, you were on the show not too long ago. So anybody who wants like the full Montana introduction can just go back to the... uh, the episode that we did for Halloween with the Ouija board. Perfect. Right? Love that. Yeah. Okay. And cool. um, hi, everybody. And you can also find me at MontanaJordan.com. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's easy to remember. <laughs> Montana, like the state, and Jordan, like the river. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. All right. There we yeah, go. That's right. Uh, so when we last spoke, or when I last had you on the podcast. Um, when was that? October? Yeah. Was that it was, before Shallon? Yeah. It was right at the end of, uh, it was right at the end of October. Was it? Because it was the Halloween special. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. And we did a really successful Ouija board session. Yeah. And it was uh, it was a really intensely weird Ouija board session. I, I liked it a lot. Um, but uh, your show hadn't come out yet. So mm-hmm. you couldn't really you couldn't really talk about it. In fact, I'm not even sure. That's right. I think that you had the release date, but that's it. So. Oh, my gosh. So we couldn't discuss it. We could just be like, ooh, there's a TV show and there's going to be friggin' ghosts and shit. <laughs> <laughs> so many friggin' ghosts and shit. Um, and actually, now that we're talking about it i think this was officially the first show that i announced that in the name of the new travel channel show i think that's possible yeah i think i did yeah so So that's really cool wow yeah yeah um yeah so uh so there are three episodes out so far Mm -hmm. and um in those episodes you go you and your team of Mm -hmm. (laughs) co-stars go to uh various haunted places and do like paranormal investigation stuff yeah so much fun yeah it looks like a lot of fun and it's but it's also really interesting for me to watch because um you know the the thing that the thing that i always find really interesting about a lot of these paranormal shows is that their their approach to things like ghosts and demons and things is so christian right like it has it has a very a lot of times it has a very like single minded or 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 unilateral view of like what ghosts and demons and things are um and i know just from our friendship and just from our talks in the past that this isn't necessarily the way that you always look at it mm-hmm. and you know sometimes in the show i've only watched two episodes of the three um but you know they they do a good job sometimes of like sort of letting you come in and do like pagan stuff 
but um, but mostly it's all like scared Christians, yeah. you know, waving their crucifixes around and splashing holy water and everything like it's going to like solve a problem and then being like super antagonistic with the spirits and stuff. And so I kind of wanted to, I thought that this would be a really good opportunity to kind of talk to you about spirits and ghosts, and demons, all that kind of stuff and kind of get maybe an idea of how you look at these things. So so many buttons. I know, I know, I love this thing. <laughs> Montana was really disappointed that we didn't uh, record at the Mexican food restaurant earlier. I was like, no, 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 you well, have to see the new toys. <laughs> the very first time I was ever on your show, I think this is the third time I'm guess, a, on your yeah. show now. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first time we met at a brewery yeah. in Southeast Portland, right? Mm-hmm. In like... So that was fun. Yeah. So I totally expected when I was like, yeah, let's do like Mexican food and margaritas. I thought we were going to like record over getting drunk off of tequila. Yeah. Instead, we just, we just pre We just pushed it back a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a lot of tequila in our system. (laughs) We had an excellent Mexican lunch. (laughs) Some great enchilada. It's at Rocio's in Southeast Portland. If you guys uh, listen to this podcast and want some Mexican food in Portland, make sure you go there and tell them that we sent you. So good. Yes. So good, yeah. So, yeah, we had a fair amount of tequila, and uh, now Eric is drinking coffee, and I'm drinking chai, and we'll see how long it takes before I have to pee again. Oh, I, I'm not even going to pause. <laughs> just this is going to be a long podcast. There's a long cable on the microphone. <laughs> just take it with you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Actually, that was, like, the funniest thing about um, uh, my TV show, It Feels Evil, um, is we have to wear microphones on uh, the back of our pants, right? Um, like... Like, yeah, like actual microphones. So we had um, sound people. We had people for everything. Like, it was a whole setup. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. And uh, we always had a particular sound guy that was a microphone guy. And um, so he would always, like, uh, put the microphone, like, like like close to my bra, like, right underneath. And, like, so I would always, like, at the beginning and the end of every show have, like, hands coming up me. So that was fun. And then would always have, like, the... I don't know what it's called, but like the microphone speaker box on the oh, like the battery the transmitter mm-hmm. thingy. And anybody that knows me knows that I have the tiniest bladder in the world, so I always have to pee. So like every time there was a, a break in between filming, I would be like, "Excuse me, I need somebody to like reach into my shirt and take off all this equipment so I can go pee, please." And they're like, <laughs> "Really, Montana again? Yeah." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've used. I, I have a, a, one of those wireless um, lavalier mics. Uh, oh yeah. So when you, it's time for you to go to the bathroom, you can just use that. <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, guys, I'm peeing right now. No big deal. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so so let's talk about let's talk about how almost all popular uh, entertainment that involves ghosts, demons, anything like that, it's all kind of Christian propaganda, right? So it's all sort of like demons are scary, ghosts are scary, all of this stuff is evil. Like, it, like it's, it's kind of ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I understand that that has a really good um you know it's it's got a better entertainment value mm-hmm. you know it's like you know there's a reason casper the friendly ghost is off the air right right because people stopped being entertained by friendly ghosts <laughs> but uh but at the same time like as somebody who works with ghosts or works with i mean i don't even know what you 
spirits. Let's I just call, call them call it energies. Energies, yeah, yeah. Because that way it's 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 very vague. It's a, another typical umbrella term. Mm-hmm. So that way they are, I feel like, because who am I to put a label on something or somebody else, right. you know? So if I call something an energy or an entity, then that means that I am voluntarily not categorizing them as a ghost or an angel or a demon because... I'm not a big fan of that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess uh, I know that there are always like efforts to classify stuff, mm-hmm. and um, but then you see sometimes like uh, there's a book called Gate Through Gateway Through Light and Shadow by uh, which is just sort of a log of this guy who um, <clears throat> summons up things and talks to them and has conversations with them, mm. and sometimes they're like really really old. Mm. Summons them by like rituals. He summons them using rituals like Solomonic rituals and and stuff like that. And Why didn't we do that today? That sounds like fun. Who wants to listen to me talk? I, I don't have all. I don't have all the gear for that. I'm not gonna. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Well, I mean, I've done it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a it's a pretty typical activity for ceremonial magicians. Mm-hmm. You know, to summon spirits and summon things and work with them. Yep. Um, but a lot of his conversations with them have sort of revealed things like our our lines between different categories are maybe not always right, you know, so absolutely, so yeah. like sometimes ancient weird gods and spirits and things might be the leftover bits of humans mm-hmm. that have turned into something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So this topic actually gets me really excited. And this is something that we discussed a lot at the end of episode three. So uh, for those that are just tuning in, um, my new travel channel show is called it feels evil. And Uh, In the third episode, um, my colleague Tim, so it's me and my buddy Tim and Patrick and Scotty, uh, Tim believes that he has an attachment and that that attachment is Zozo. So there are a lot of theories within the paranormal research and academic communities talking about, you know, who or what Zozo might be. There are colleagues that I work with that um, come from a different background and they believe Zozo to be the typical Christian demon, right? Mm -hmm. Again, because I'm not a fan of labels or categories and coming from uh, the perspective of a legitimate paranormal researcher, it is actually, not only is it inaccurate, but it's, it's disrespectful is ignorant to place all of these different energies into a specific category because we're still learning what they are right yeah um so again um on the show it feels evil i'm the only occultist i'm the only pagan so i'm the only one that comes um from the background that is outside of catholicism so my uh, teammates uh, are all Catholic, so uh, if you guys watch the show, that you will see that we have a lot of fun, um, not necessarily butting heads, but just talking to each other about our different perspectives and um, what you're talking about, Eric, to circle back to the Christian agenda, that is definitely something that I struggle with, and as um, a, a non-Christian living in a Christian society and in a Christianized nation, um, and as a theologian and as an occultist, uh, having to fight against that Christian and Catholic category on a daily basis. And um, that's why it was so exciting to, um, it is so exciting to be a part of the show. Um, It feels evil and to have that platform in order to better expose and educate the general public about theology as a whole. And I don't mean Christianity. I don't mean religion or comparative religion, but theology as a whole from a philosophical perspective. Uh, I appreciate that a lot, actually. Um, Yeah, even... I think we we probably um, brought this up uh, in the Ouija board episode, but even the word demon is 
is a Christianized term. Like it comes from a an old Greek word, daimon, which mm-hmm. just means spirit. Mm-hmm. So even good things and bad things, like they're all daimones. They're all mm-hmm. part of that same sort of category. And I think even like ghosts and um, people that have passed on kind of fit into that too. Um, and it's sort of interesting, like watching, because I, so I mean, I, I am not a big fan of paranormal uh, TV shows, p- paranormal investigation shows. As am I. <laughs> but, so, like, yours is kind of the only one that I've really watched. Thank I, you. I think I've seen maybe, like, an episode or two of some of the other ones, like, way, way back in the day hey, when they first happened. You know but... more about what's on TV right now than me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, I'm a freelancer, so I've got a lot of free time. <laughs> but uh, it's it's funny watching these because... It reminds me a lot, uh, and I, I, I this is something that we didn't, we haven't talked about yet, but um, as an occultist, one of the things that I run into a lot is like occultists who are obsessed with using kind of like material science to prove their occult beliefs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in these paranormal shows, it kind of feels like that, you know, like um, especially, you know, uh, like the spirit boxes or like the little... Um, handheld recorders that are mm-hmm. turned I mean I don't know how they do it they must turn the um, sensitivity sensitivity all the way up so it picks up all sorts of weird background noise but it always sort of is seems to me like it's it's an interesting stretch like we like the the need to have that kind of um, <laughs> excuse me <laughs> Margaritas. Oops. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, that need to have that sort of, like, physical validation. Like, we, we know there's a spirit here because it made, you know, the, the the LEDs twinkle on this device or it made, you know, funny noises on the recording. Um, and, uh, but then in one of the episodes, and so, like, you know, you, you know, one of the techniques that you use most of all is, is, is a Ouija board, mm-hmm. which um, isn't really necessarily a physical proof of something existing. Mm-hmm. It's just proof that you are interacting with something. Exactly. Right? Um, and a lot of the Ouija board stuff might be, it could be, I know that like skeptics try to explain it away as like the, the micro movements or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, while refusing to take into account that like, yeah, maybe there are micro movements. That doesn't mean that there's not communication. Exactly. Happening. Yeah. That you're referring to the um, idometer effect. Yeah yeah. 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 Which actually um, I think is more truthful than not, but mm-hmm. the scientific or the medical community wants to explain that. And that also falls into the same category as sleep paralysis, right? Mm-hmm. Like not a fan of that. Like I don't think sleep paralysis is the thing because I believe that when we are in our sleep states, that that is when we, are at our most vulnerable physically so that's when our our uh, physical body goes to sleep and our spiritual body goes outside and it goes to play right and that's where uh there is actual documentation of astral projection and traveling to uh, parallel universes um et abduction all of those things so that uh, falls under the same realm um but with what were we talking about i went off on a tangent uh oh we were talking about um kind of like that that need for like physical validation of oh that's right the odometer effect yeah. yeah that it makes sense like um uh that explanation it's the odometer effect is real that is a thing that's been scientifically documented absolutely because i'm using the ouija board so i'm physically manipulating it i'm holding a planchette so i am an important factor in the ouija board session we know that although like and we have both seen you know the planchette move on its own before you don't need an actual human 
physical person touching the board in order for it to work. Although, you know, that usually fits into the calculation and it makes for a greater sum. It makes for better results. Sure. Yeah. But also um, part of that movement might be, you know, it's it's sort of like uh, the the same thing that kind of like drives automatic writing. Like you exactly. might be that was communicating. My point. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I think that's why I'm so excited um, for the opportunity to be on my new TV show, It Feels Evil, and to better expose and educate the general public about uh, the Ouija board, about how beautiful and healthy and resourceful it is, and that it's not always necessarily used as an outside communicative device, that we aren't just... Um, communicating with outside stimuli that we are using it as a parapsychological device that I am using it um, more often than not as a, an occult tool to tap into myself, into my subconscious or my higher self or a different psyche or a different level of my essence, very similar to what we do in any in any ritual or um, what we do when we are in a tarot reading, right? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I... Uh actually i think that's something that i haven't yet seen you do or haven't yet like talked to you very much about that but that'd be interesting to get into that's yeah point. um but let's get back to demons <laughs> <laughs> yay demons demons i love demons <laughs> well i love demons too i mean that's the thing when you I get paid to play with demons yo. yeah well y- demons are important and you know any ceremonial you know in ceremonial magic in the occult like there are books full of demons mm-hmm. and uh, and totally like different approaches to demons. So you might have like goetic demons that you that are kind of treated as sort of like you know subcon or uh, almost like non sentient automata. Yes. Uh, where yes. maybe they're not really even related to the human consciousness or the yes. human psyche. Yeah. They are just sort of processes that are running in the exactly. world. Exactly. And that's what I mean. Like the more you delve into this, the more you delve into occultism and the more you delve into theology as a whole and uh, philosophy, specifically metaphysics, because that's what Ouija board is, is talking about the, how you as the individual relate to your environment on a metaphysical level. And that's the definition of metaphysics, right? So um, when you approach, or when I approach a Ouija board session, it's not so much about, yeah, so this is, you know, it's either one of two things. It's a paranormal a communication device, right? Or a parapsychological communication device. So um, to circle back to what you were talking about with the, the Greek demons, the Greek demons um, that, uh, and actually um, we have had many a conversation about this over our cult brunch that we do on most Saturday mornings here in Portland, where a bunch of us freaks, all of us friends and occultists and masons and, and witches and freaks get together and we get drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning and have the best time ever. <laughs> <laughs> that um, uh, we um, get into um, theological debates about the difference between um, the daemon and the demon. So to answer your question, Eric, we're talking about um, categorical Christianized demons, right? And how um, we are um, in a Christianized society. We're in North America. We're in the, you know, the Western Hemisphere. And we are, uh, have been told since, you know, um, the late 1700s that we're uh, a Christian nation, right? So we've got um, this concept, this understanding, the general public seems to accept the idea of the demon as being something Christianized, as being something outside of themselves, something as an external force that is 
driving them and it has nothing to do with them it has everything to do with uh, the devil or lucifer or satan as opposed to the greek archetypal belief of the daemon spelled day spelled d-a-e-m-o-n daemon um something more um inward something more parapsychological something that's more of a part of yourself another uh psychic another or another psyche another essence of yourself so um it's really interesting to see over the last three thousand years with the development um of christianity how that term has changed into something um self that is that was more self-accountable into something that is, oh, it's not my fault. Blame the devil for it. Blame Satan. You know, hail Jesus, right? So in that sense, then the, the, the Christian take on a on a demon is almost kind of like uh, <clears throat> an external force that makes you sin. Yes. Yeah. And so that is um, a... Uh, a major topic that my team and I had a lot of fun discussing and dissecting over the TV show with our different investigations because, again, they come from a Catholic background and I do not. So um, my team would look at a malevolent entity and be like, oh, it's obviously a demon. And I'm like, whoa, hold on, boys. Like, let's discuss what that means and why you're calling it a demon. And let's make sure that um, this isn't coming from your Catholic lens. You know, as legitimate paranormal researchers, we need to have that um, comfortability and authority to step outside of our comfort zone, to step outside of our own backgrounds and our own belief systems and really apply everything from a theological and philosophical basis. Um, how do you know if an entity is malevolent? That's a good question. Um, I think more often than not, that would be if the entity isn't just forceful or aggressive or physical, because I run into a lot of uh, physicality and I'm always open to being touched. A lot of my colleagues, um, do not like that. So if they get touched or if they, um, get pushed or if they get poked or something, they automatically think that that's aggressive. So if something's aggressive, then that means it's bad. If something's bad, it's obviously evil, right? I think that's completely disrespectful. I think that's very ignorant. So there is something about aggressiveness, but if you look at it from a theological perspective, if you've got this entity and it's trying to reach out to you, and if it's got the motivation and the energy and the resources to be aggressive, why wouldn't it be aggressive? So just because something is aggressive doesn't mean it's evil. It doesn't mean it's malevolent. So to answer your question, um, I have run into, I've definitely run into malevolent entities, and those entities would be um, those that, uh, with the different EVPs that we get, um, they say horrible, nasty things about me and things that they want to do to me because I'm usually the only woman, you know, in every investigation that I go on. So, so they don't, they don't want to like braid your hair. They... Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that would be so great. <laughs> <laughs> I have beautiful long hair. Let's play with my hair. Yeah. Um, that's funny. <laughs> Hey, maybe, you know, in the next season you can visit a haunted uh, hair place. Uh, what do you call hair? I've, I've never deal with hair places. So a, a hair, hairdresser? A salon. 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 A haunted salon. I know. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I can like not brush my hair for like a month ahead of time and just like show up looking like Medusa and just be like, all right, guys. All right, bitches. Look at what I did to myself. Who wants to fix my hair? Come out with like the best French braid ever. <laughs> It's going to be so great. Yeah. That's a good idea for our next investigation. <laughs> I hope somebody out there is taking notes. I know. Oh, my gosh. Right. Uh, okay. So then so then, have you gotten, 
like has your has your approach to uh, classifying like different things as malevolent or non-malevolent or or even kind of like toning down the sort of like oh my god it's a demon sort of thing has it actually had an impact do you feel like your your co your co-investigators are they kind of like starting to pay attention in a different way that's a great question I would say yes. Uh, Tim and I have had have spent hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months discussing this very topic. So that that's a really great question. Um, that that's where it's also important for me uh, because I want to continue to learn and grow. Right. So it's important for me to listen to Tim, who comes from a Catholic background, and to understand you know what his perception is of what's happening and then likewise for him to listen to me and an example of that is um this is in the second episode um when we are conducting um a several day long investigation of the black swan inn in san antonio texas so 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 intense that was such a crazy experience um there was i think this was I'm pretty sure this did not make the the edit. So um, this is a little tidbit for the fans that are listening. This is something that it's wasn't like on. A, it's like an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that there was an incident inside the house, and I think I was somewhere on the property performing some ritual or something, like I always do, right? <laughs> and um, that something happened and um tim got jolted and uh came out of the house my producer jeff found me and he's like montana tim needs you tim needs you so i'm like oh my gosh what happened and so i'm running across the property i find tim tim was upset because something scratched his arm his forearm something hurt him and he had his crucifix he had um, his rosary wrapped around his arm and uh, because he comes from a catholic faith so he's like okay well this rosary is gonna you know make me feel better and it's gonna help you know like get rid of whatever's happening to me right now right so um our other colleague scotty um was supposed to go conduct an experiment in the barn on the other side of the property because it's a huge lot so scotty's like hey tim i need my rosary back and tim was like no i need my rosary so anybody that knows me knows that i always carry that i always carry rock rocks and, and crystals in my bra right just like extra boob crystals huh? yeah seriously like i've <laughs> i've like so many boobs it's not even funny so i was like i was like okay tim i was like i got this so um i was like give the rosary to scotty let him go do what he needs to do i was like so i reached inside my bra and i pulled out my best rock and um it was i'm trying to remember the the main rock that i used for this particular Is investigation it like, uh, the hope diamond yeah right <laughs> 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 it's so true. Um, it, I think it was a, a black tourmaline or something like that, or like obsidian, because, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm always um, going to steer towards black rocks and crystals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're the strongest because they're, they're the protectants. For those of you at home, Montana is currently wearing all black, and she has, like, matte black... <laughs> finger nail claws. They're, they're claws. Those are claws. Yep, yep. <laughs> You can see what he's talking about if you watch my show, It Feels Evil, on the Travel Channel. (laughs) But um, so I pulled out um, my rock and I was like, hey, Tim, you know, like this has a lot of energy. This is very charged. It's very powerful. This is going to do what you want your rosary to do, if not more. 
Um, so that's uh, just an example of where we were learning to work together as a team to incorporate, you know, each other's belief systems and each other's backgrounds in order to really work together as a unit in order to fight back against a malevolent entity that actually was present at the Black Swan Inn. Um, so one of the so, – but one thing that I have noticed also, um, so in addition to, like, you know, you know them – uh, really enjoying your rocks. <laughs> <laughs> like here, hold one of my my boob rocks. <laughs> this will make everything better. <laughs> but uh, in addition to that, like they actually let you do a uh, pagan ritual. I know. How so cool is that? You've done banishing. Well, I haven't watched episode three, but like in the first episode, you did a banishing. In the second episode, you did the uh, a binding ritual. The binding ritual yeah. for the that poor. That poor doll. I know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so exciting. So, um, yeah, that's another amazing thing about being on the show that I have the authority to write my own rituals and write my own spells and incorporate them, and it's a lot of fun. So I've definitely been learning and growing and um, experimenting more individually, you know, as my own uh, occultist about what works and what doesn't work. So with episode one at the uh, Yorktown Hospital in Yorktown, Texas, um, at the end of the episode after everything that was happening, because we did not go into each investigation you know, obviously knowing what was going to happen. So at the end of episode two and episode um, one and two, at the end of our investigations, uh, like any legitimate paranormal researcher, we go into um, the location uh, with some sort of idea, right? Mm Because we do a little bit of research ahead of time. So we think we know what we're getting into, but I like to know less information personally because I like to be open to it and, and feel it and not be polluted by somebody else's experience, right? So um, that's important to me. A lot of people don't do that, but I like the purification of that individually. So um, I go into the investigation, knowing very little information. And my colleagues generally know more than I do. I ask them not to tell me anything unless I need to know it because I'm the one that comes in, you know, with with my different capabilities. So mm-hmm. um, I have the um, uh, the luxury to utilize those. And um with the end of episode one at the Yorktown Hospital, um, after investigating uh, it for days and after all of the crazy experiences we had, we realized uh, what we think what we were dealing with and what it was and that it was um, traveling through the pipes underneath the building and that it was uh, using the water in the pipes as a conduit to travel back and forth and that um, once we realized that after everything that we experienced for a few days um, at the end of the last day of our investigation they were like okay Montana like what are you going to do? How are you going to fix this? And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. So now I need to sit down and like do my own research and feel it out and write my own ritual and write my own spell and like basically on the spot, very last minute, so much pressure. Like it's, it's a lot. Wait, was this the episode when they were flushing holy water down the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That wasn't a toilet. <laughs> right. Just flush it down the toilet, man. Everything's okay. <laughs> That's funny. No. <laughs> That was in a toilet. That was um, a sink that was in one of the medical rooms where a lot of 
um, allegedly with the documentation that we had, um, mm-hmm. where a lot of the medical experiment, um, experiments um, that the that the doctor conducted at the time and um, the uh, a lot of the um, pregnancies and deliveries gone wrong and the abortions gone wrong. So apparently we were told that that was the room where um, a lot of the baby activity, the baby spirit activity was happening. So um, Tim wanted to use his holy water. Um, and then I did a little pagan ritual on top of that. And so the whole point was pouring holy water down into the pipe to get um, the ritual started, uh, to put the holy water into the drain so that we could basically purify the pipe system. And then that was when I came with uh, the salt to form the circle and do the binding ritual. Uh, this is a really good opportunity for us to talk about that salt thing. Somebody on Twitter yeah. uh, was asking about salt. What was the question? It was yeah. something like, why do you put salt in a circle? What's the what's the significance of salt? Uh, I've got some thoughts on this, but maybe you want to go first. Okay. Um, yeah, I believe his name was Andrew. Um, so thank you, Andrew, for that question. That was actually an excellent question. I believe what Andrew asked was um, he wanted me to better explain um, why salt is used, um, why it was used for the binding ritual. And I assume mm-hmm. that he was referring to episode one because we made a huge salt circle around um, the building, around the hospital. And uh-huh. that was the, the first stage to contain the malevolent entity that we believe was on the property. And we put him in the temple and you can see um that tim and patrick and scotty are um involved in their gonsfeld experiment Mm -hmm. and that the whole point was to um have tim invite that um, malevolent entity into himself so that we knew that it was contained on the property and then i did the binding ritual okay um so yeah um salt has been used since the beginning of time in major in basically every major religion and in faith and culture uh it's been used um for its cleansing and protective properties we know that salt is um a healer and a purifier and a preservative so uh historically um salt was used in the olden days to preserve our food right Mm -hmm. so they figured out that if you put salt with the food that it would prevent rot so um people would eventually associate that with spiritual rot as well so ergo if we use salt that's going to help me keep my spiritual rot at bay right it's going to help me keep the malevolent or the the evil entities or energies away from me and um, examples of that is that in the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition that salt is used as a purifier. Uh, we know that salt is added to incense. And um, holy water. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the Roman Catholic Church uses salt for its rituals all the time. And um, I think that salt is brought up in the Bible like something close to 30 times. Okay. So it's a big thing in the Bible. Yeah. Um, it's also, you know, like... Uh, in Egypt, it was used, uh, natron, which is a type of salt, was used um, to preserve mummies, and it was used in all sorts of sacred rituals and stuff. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, I keep a I keep a bowl of salt on my altar. I you do, know too. I mean? Yes, I do. It's, uh, it's a, I keep a little tiny baggie of salt with me, like in my purse or whenever I an, travel, in actually. In boob rocks. Yep. <laughs> my boob rocks. Hold on, I've got everything <laughs> in my boobs. <laughs> um, but uh, but salt is like it's it's an interesting mineral, right? Because it's a mineral. First of all, it's mm-hmm. like a rock. It's mm-hmm. it's but it's also 
necessary for life. Like life can't exist exactly. without it. Exactly. Uh, but also life can't have too much of it or you turn into like a weird ass shriveled <laughs> mummy thing. Salt <laughs> yeah. mummy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, and it's, um, but it does have a lot of magical uses. It does, yeah. Uh, and and we were, you know, we were joking at lunch about how like, you know, a margarita, <laughs> you you get a salted rim, uh, but the spirits don't get to escape until you like break the salt. Exactly. The there. Oh no! <laughs> so yeah. so Eric is possessed right now with the margarita demon. Oh yeah, totally. With the tequila demon. Any <laughs> any, um, but yeah, with salt, um, it's so funny because people look at it um, as such a, a witchy, wicked thing, and it's so not. Like, it's it's oh, yeah. been used it's, for everybody thousands of years, absolutely. Right. And that's what is so beautiful about the, the um, universal understanding of the um, beauty and um, the utilization of salt, that mm-hmm. um, it really does encase, like, so many different cultures and faith systems. And um, another example of that is that um, with Asian cultures like Buddhism predominantly that, um, you know, they throw salt over their shoulder before they um, enter a house or at the close of a funeral to keep malevolent entities at bay. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with um, Shintoism that uh, at the beginning of a sumo wrestling match that a sumo wrestler will throw a handful of salt into the middle of the circle to keep malevolent entities at bay and to ensure that, you know, the gods and goddesses, you know, protect and purify the wrestling mm-hmm. match that is to come. Right. And um, another fun tidbit about Saul is that um, Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting, um, The Last Supper, that if you see sitting in front of Judas, that there is a spilt bowl, bowl of salt. And that is to foreshadow, you know, the eventual betrayal, uh, betrayal and um, torture and crucifixion of the historical Jesus, right? So spilt salt would eventually become known as an omen for something bad, for something evil, or for something malevolent. Ergo, um, the opposition of that is um, salt is something healthy. Uh, we know the natural um, composition of it because it's um, um, a holistic alternative. It's something that um, cleans and purifies, so it brings about something the opposite of malevolent or evil. So to answer Andrew's question off of Twitter, um, again, he was probably referring to um, the beginning of the binding ritual that I did at the end of episode one where we encase the property in a circle of salt and that was just to keep the malevolent entity uh inside to keep it contained in order for me to follow through with the rest of the ritual uh <clears throat> that's a lot of really good information i, I was also <laughs> it, it um i was also reminded of uh, the christian superstition of when you spill salt throwing it over your shoulder to like keep yeah. the devil away or whatever. exactly which is funny because that's not christian like that that is so like archaically asian like oh, yeah but i mean christians use it now like, i know right yeah <laughs> like like everything right <laughs> <laughs> it's mine now okay i mean you know i it, through studying ancient religions and ancient magic, I have come to really appreciate syncreti- syncretism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we have enough of it these days. I think that we should be, I mean, you know, I guess uh, I don't really want to get into the uh, concept of cultural appropriation, but it's something that we like really uh, sneer at a lot now. But yeah. at the same time, like the the idea that cultural appropriation is bad is is it seems to be very, very new. Yeah. And if you go back to like the to old magical texts or old religious practices, it was all about syncretization. You yep. know, we don't we wouldn't have such a rich cultural tapestry of 
freaky demon-headed gods to draw from if it wasn't for so true yeah yeah that that was actually very well put and that is predominantly is that not the very definition of christianity is that not what christianity was founded on is that Mm -hmm. also to take it a step further not the very definition of our freaking country you know that we are a literal melting pot of different faith system and uh, faith systems and religions and um i think that that needs to be honored so yeah the the whole topic of cultural appropriation i actually feel very differently about that than most people um our mutual good friend heather and I um so everybody that knows me knows that I'm a huge Elvis fangirl, right? So I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No, you had I, no idea. I wear. I, yeah. Everybody tell everybody what I'm wearing right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Well I mean it's Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing Elvis and I have a tattoo of Elvis. <laughs> Wait, isn't that Johnny Cash? That one's Johnny Cash. That one's Johnny Cash? And Johnny Cash on my left, Elvis on my right. See, that looks like Johnny Cash. No, it or maybe doesn't. Roy Orbison. <laughs> I had some old guy in Montana ask me several years ago, He because of the hair, he was like, why do you have John Bon Jovi tattooed on your arm? I was like, get out. <laughs> maybe no, maybe nobody knows who that is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that, that's all this? That's okay, Johnny Cash. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. But um, that uh, Heather is, uh, I mean, all of you guys put up with my fascination and obsession with all this <laughs> i have such great friends but um <laughs> heather's like like the one girlfriend that i can count on like if i'm ever like and this happens a lot like if i'm ever super sad about elvis being dead like if it just hits me randomly on like a monday or something <laughs> i'll call I'm heather sorry, i shouldn't laugh at that <laughs> i'm sorry for your difficult times I know. i'm i'm going through a loss right now eric dick <laughs> that um i'll call heather um and uh i'll be like will you meet me at the elvis bar because here in portland oregon we've got um a bar that's called the elvis room which is supposed to be an elvis themed bar but it's actually not is did they have any elvis stuff at all i haven't been there yet no not really i've seen it though i've stood a couple blocks away and looked at him and like oh i think that's the elvis room yeah so no no No. Elvis stuff yeah nope well let's call him out hey elvis room Get your act together. Yeah, yeah. No, not kidding. Okay, so now, now that you've brought it up, now that you've brought it up, Eric. Okay, oh, now wow. I'm going to go off on a tangent. <laughs> You're yeah, like, oh god. The, the title of this episode <laughs> is going to be like "Mourning the Loss of Elvis" with Montana Jordan. <laughs> Truly. So um, I'm still new to Portland. I've only been here for for a few years, and when I heard that they were. Um, that there was an Elvis room, uh, an Elvis bar. It's called like the Elvis room, I think. I think so. Um, I freaked out. I'm like, oh my gosh, talk about synchronicity, right? You know, like the universe is telling me this is where I need to be. So I live at this bar now. I'm going to drink and get drunk every day now, right? Praise Elvis. And um, the uh, so people um, <laughs> of the Elvis room, listen up. So the Elvis room itself is <laughs> not Elvisy at all. And any true Elvis fan would walk into this bar and not only be disappointed, but be heartbroken. Like, there is one uh, Elvis, like, framed picture downstairs by the bar and then, like, an Elvis painting upstairs around the corner that you have to, like, like go look to find. And uh, it's not Elvisy at all. Um, they are never playing Elvis when I go in there. Like, there's no, like, Elvis statue. There's no Elvis altar. There's no, like, like generally nothing Elvis-related. And I understand that they think that they built the Elvis room because there's a top floor and a bottom floor to um represent uh 
what um, a couple rooms in Graceland looks like, but it is not Elvisy, and Elvis himself has never granted his presence there. Like he is not going to step foot into that building, and it's very insulting. So, long story short, Heather is like the um, uh, one of my good, 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 amazing friends. Hi, Heather, I love you. Um, that will. Uh, um, accommodate me during Elvis's birthday or Elvis's death day. That's whenever I go. So January and August, <laughs> the, the, the feast days of Elvis. Exactly right. My holidays, yo. And um, uh, so she'll meet me at the Elvis bar, and um, I'll just drink and I'll just cry, and she'll just listen to me, and she'll be like, "I'm so sorry for your loss, Montana." And it's it's beautiful. So that's <laughs> that's a cycle that we go through. Is there anything you think uh, could be done to Elvis up the Elvis room? Oh my lord, yes. Um, so as an Elvis fan, and I know that I'm like a super massive fangirl, so I understand that my standards are going to be a lot higher than the, than the typical Elvis fan, but um, to uh, have it really honor Elvis, to have it feel like Elvis, to have it sound like Elvis, Elvis is never playing when I go in there. And the one time I asked a bartender that was working downstairs in the basement bar to put on Elvis, like he like seemed shocked that I wanted to go into the Elvis bar and listen to Elvis. So that just made me mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to have like actual Elvis things, like things that Elvis liked or things paying tribute to Elvis. And that is the the whole point. So like there is so much, so much room to grow. So people of the Elvis room, call me. <laughs> I will make sure to send them a link to this episode <laughs> once once Good. it's out. This is important. So, yeah, I'm glad Wait, that we talked on. about I, this. I, let's, so I'm curious, you know, you've got, um, you know, all your boyfriends are dead. <laughs> they are dead. But I'm just wondering, uh, <laughs> have you ever considered, uh, like, maybe It Feels Evil should go to Graceland? Oh, my God. Right. Can you imagine doing a, like, a Ouija board thing oh in Elvis's death bathroom? Oh, my God. Like, do you think that I even have the capability to control myself? Like, I don't even know what that would be like. I would I mean, just... Can you imagine those ghost hips? <laughs> I would, like, probably be so overcome with grief that I would just, like, like be like a big ball of emotion the whole time and just be like, nobody talk to me. Nobody talk to me. I think that it could be the best episode. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, but that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna call my agent in the morning. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> we need to talk about this. Yeah. Um. So, but when it comes to um the spirits or energies of dead people, um, have you ever like how often do you have uh good success contacting like specific uh, energies, specific individuals. Does that happen very often? That's a good question. I'm not sure if it does, to be honest. I don't know. I think that, I think it's half and half mm -hmm. uh, because oftentimes when I put the call out to talk to somebody specific, um, I have a protocol that I follow where I ask particular questions to make sure that that's a person I think that I'm talking to, right? Um, just because, you know, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want them to waste my time. So we can never, and that's like the crapshoot of paranormal research work, you know, we can never know for sure. And that's why it's so important that we um, continue to work on our own personal craft and our own exercise and continue to grow as our own spiritual par parapsychological selves and figure out how we individually fit into our metaphysical environment. 
Um, so with that said, you know, every ritual that we do is different. Every Ouija board session that we do is different, right? So um, yes, sometimes the call works and I get the person that, that I want to talk to. And then sometimes absolutely not. And that might also, uh, so many factors fall into place and I'm still learning what that means. So it's, it's a big mathematical cal- calculation and it's about what those factors are. And if you move those different variables around how you affect the, the sum and what the outcome is going to look like. Um, so it, it could be anything from something as specific to using, um, the wrong Ouija board. I needed to use a different Ouija board that was made out of natural materials instead of a plastic material, or, um, I needed to do it at, um, a particular, um, moment with with whatever's happening in the cosmos, or if it needed to be done during the waning or the waxing moon, right? So there's a bunch Mm -hmm. of variables. So I guess to answer your question, I don't really know. So it's just about, um, continuing to practice and progress. So what about what about like the location issue? Like if you want to contact for instance like a specific dead person. Like let's say uh a client comes to you and is like I want to talk to my grandma or something. Um does location play a, a very big role in that? So like, you know in the in the paranormal investigation show, you're going to places that are specifically supposedly inhabited by specific energies or some sort of energy. Um but if somebody comes to you and has a dead relative or, or some dead person that they want to contact, uh, how important is location then? Like, how do you how do you increase your chances? What do you do? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I've ever been asked that before. Um, I think everybody is going to have a different answer that, to this question because it depends on what their practice is and what works for them. For me location does not play a factor and I'm not saying that every time I try to tap into a specific person it works because it absolutely doesn't because it's not about me I don't feel like I'm the one that holds the power I'm just tapping into the the larger working collective consciousness right Mm -hmm. so if I call somebody and if they hear me you know if they choose to pick up they pick up and if they don't then they don't right so it's going to be the same as as, you know using a cell phone right like I can call you and then if you see that I'm calling but you know you don't want to talk to me right now you let it go to voicemail right um so yes you're right when we go to investigations we believe we know what we're up against when we get there and that we try to keep it contained and try to deal with it based off of what our clientele is asking from us at the time however when i'm working um individually with my own personal clientele outside of the tv show um i have found that location does not matter. So again, it doesn't mean where I might physically be in the universe, but um, anything else that's happening around me is going to um, uh, be a factor in that. So for example, if we're close to Samhain, if we're close to a pagan Sabbath, if um, something is happening in the cosmos, right? If it's a full moon or not. So Mm -hmm. all of those things are going to play a variable. But for me, I have found that um, it's not about location, that if I'm doing one-on-one consultation work, that um, I can basically be doing it from like my own home office at my house, and I have the capability to tap in. But again, that doesn't always work. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it must be, I mean, the fact that there are like locations that are haunted must mean that there are types of energies that are tied to place. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is some is kind of reflected in a lot of um, in a lot of the the lore, you know, mm-hmm. the legends and the you know you'll have 
specific spirits that you can only call at crossroads or spirits yeah. that are tied to specific temples or or things of that nature. Uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be interested in hearing your future thoughts on that after you sit on it for a while. Yeah, or, that's a great question. I will but, continue to think about that. Yeah, because um, it could be maybe that inf- maybe that'll influence the types of things that you contact. Yeah, exactly. Your, I love that, and yeah. that's where um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was episode two. Wait, no, this was okay. No, I don't remember. No, this was episode three at the House of Wills in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, at one of the days that we were there, it was um, a pagan Sabbath. And so this is another tidbit about the show um, that this did not, I believe, make it to the final edit. So nobody saw this on the episode. But um, during one of those days, gosh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, during one of those um, days, I asked everybody to give me some space and I went to um, the end of the property and um, I think they filmed it, but they just didn't put it in the episode. I was conducting my own personal ritual and I'm trying to remember, maybe it was the summer solstice. I'm trying to remember what month it was, but it was um, a big day for me in the cosmos. And I was like, okay, everybody give me some space, go do what you're going to do. I'm going to go over here like a freak by myself in the corner and, you know, like play with my boob rocks and, you know, lap my candles and do what I do. And um, that was a very powerful experience for me. And I didn't realize that, that the people that I was with that day cared. And I didn't realize that they were watching me. And at the end of it, um, I was done, cleaned up my stuff, cleaned up my tools, and then met up with the rest of my team and the production company. And they were like, that was really incredible. Like, will you explain to us what you were doing? And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so violated. I didn't know you were watching. Because <laughs> <laughs> I usually only, you know, do these things in the comfort of my own home because I've been a solitary practitioner for years. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I so, understand. Yeah, so that's why um, this show is like me taking a huge step outside of my comfort zone and sharing some of my magic and some of my spiritual practice with America. <laughs> yeah, you're not just uh, stepping out of the broom closet. You're like burning it down <laughs> behind you. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this has been, I, I feel like I've learned a lot uh, Yay, today. Yay, thank you. Uh, not including all the weird secret stuff that we talked about. I know, so Mexican weird. Food. I know. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like a little like margarita drunk right now. And yeah. this has been fun. It's yeah. Great. Uh, so tell the, uh, tell the internet where they can find you. Tell them about your TV show and thank where they can you. find that. Absolutely. Um, so anybody that's listening, thank you so much for joining in today. And thank you for Eric for having me. Always an honor to be on your show. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and again, like we're in your ritual room right now where the last episode that we did, we had some freaky shit happen. So I need mm-hmm. to bring my Ouija board back and we'll yeah, figure yeah, that out we'll again. Do that, again. That, would, that would be great. Um, so yes, uh, my name is Montana Jordan. You can catch me on my new travel channel show. It feels evil, and you can also find me um, all over social media. The best way to reach me might be through my website. You can email me directly, so you can find me at montanajordan.com. And um, if you don't have the Travel Channel on cable TV thingamajigs, uh, it is on Amazon Prime. So, all right, well, thanks, Montana. Now uh, we should chat about something, and I'll fade us out and play the (laughs) outro music. So are you going to watch the Super Bowl this weekend? (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy Podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com, where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. 
If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancing.